Well, hello, Hills Church, and welcome to Renew Weekend. I'm so glad that you are with us. To everybody who is live at one of our campuses at West Fort Worth, South Lake, or North Richland Hills, props for making it out on a rainy weekend. I'm glad that you are here in person because this is really uh, one of my favorite weekends in the, the life of our church each year. And if you're brand new, couldn't have picked a better day for you to join us because you're going to get a little bit of our heartbeat for our community. My name is Taylor. I'm one of the teaching ministers here. And uh, right now I'm kind of preaching in some wet socks because I made the mistake right before this service of trying to go out and help my family come inside, which at the NRH campus, that was just the moment that the Lord deemed that the rain would get harder. And so the umbrella helped cover the top of me, but as the rain came sideways, I might squish a little bit on stage today, but uh, if I'd known again, I still would have done it again uh, for, for my wife and my kids. Courtney, if you're watching, please take note of that right now. Okay, anyway, so... If you, uh, if you have been with us for the last several weeks, you know uh, that we've been in a series called Delivered, where we've been looking at the Exodus story of when God helps rescue the Israelite people out of slavery in Egypt. We are going to hit pause on that series for this weekend, and we'll come back to it next week. Uh, but this week's message, as we've come to Renew Weekend, when, as has been said, every dollar given is going to go outside the walls of our church to programs and nonprofit organizations that are bringing renewal to our city and to our entire world. Man, on this weekend, the message will have a strong connection to the Exodus story. Here, here's part of what we're going to unpack today. As this spring we have talked about being delivered, here's something I think it's really important for us to know. God doesn't just deliver us from things. He delivers us for things. What I mean is that once God delivers people, he turns them into agents of deliverance. And for Exhibit A, I want to take you to the moment where God was beginning to tell this newly freed people what it was going to look like to live in his kind of freedom. So this is after, uh, after God has already rescued Israel out of Egypt. He's taken them into the wilderness, to the foot of Mount Sinai, the very mountain he promised Moses in Exodus chapter 3 that he would lead Moses and all the people. God kept his promise, and then here they are, and he's about to now tell them, all right, you're freed from Egypt. What are you freed for? And he's going to give them what we often call the Old Testament law, what Jews call Torah. And as God is going to do this, how does God begin? Exodus 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Before God begins to give the law, he gives Israel a reminder of who he is. I'm the Lord your God. What he's done, who brought you out, and where they came from, Egypt, the land of slavery. Before there's a single rule, there is a singular reminder, and it's as if God is saying, Israel, don't ever forget your deliverance story because it is going to shape the nation I'm going to make of you. It is going to shape who you become as a cycle-breaking society because I didn't just save you from, I saved you for. And from this moment on, 
throughout the rest of the Old Testament law, God keeps bringing up their time in Egypt and their deliverance story again and again. Now, I could take you through, you know, if we poured through all some 613 commands in the Old Testament law, we would see this dozens and dozens of times. But for the sake of time and making it to lunch, I'm going to just show you a couple examples, okay? So we'll, we'll start. And if you're, if you're a note taker where you like to kind of have your Bible open, I need you to know we're going to bounce around today. So you might be better off like marking some of these references. Uh, it's, you're going to have a hard time uh, if, trying to keep up if, we, if you try to follow along. So write these down. Exodus 22, verse 21. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner. For if you're live at one of our campuses, read these words with me. You were foreigners in Egypt. Don't forget your deliverance story. Skip to Leviticus 19, starting in verse 33. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. And God even takes it a step further. Love them as yourself. For, read those words, you were foreigners in Egypt. I'm the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 24 verse 17, God does it again. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. The Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. I'm telling you, you read through Old Testament law, that happens over and over. So what is God doing? Why does God keep bringing this up? I mean, you know, from one angle, it might look like, God, are you asking them to be, to be defined from their past? And instead, I would say God wants them to be distinct from where they came from, distinct from their past, different than what many of the societies looked like that day. Here's a truth embedded in that repetition that his people needed then and I think we need now. What God did for us can break the cycle. Because of God's intervening work, there is the potential that real change can take place. What God did for us can break cycles. Think about this. Israel spent generations as, beginning as foreigners and then slaves in Egypt. So what was modeled for them? They spent generations looking at the Egyptian version of worship, the Egyptian version of society, the Egyptian version of class structures and power dynamics. And Egypt was a lot like the other societies of that day. The strong dominate the weak, the powerful exploit the powerless, the haves live with plenty while the have-nots live in want. These are not new stories. But that's what Israel had modeled for them for a long time. And so they are in very real danger of something. That as they leave, having seen that example over and over and over again, God tries to put the brakes and say, no, 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 you're not going to, you're not going to repeat your deliverance story on others because I didn't save you from Egypt just so you could become a smaller version of Egypt. No, God saved them from Egypt and saved them for a cycle-breaking society. And over and over again, God wants compassion and generosity to be seeped into who his people are. 
that basically, through compassion and generosity, Israel would help break cycles in people's lives. And the reason we're talking about this today is because that is at the heartbeat of Renew Weekend. As we give with these 14 different Renew partners, these nonprofit organizations who do incredible work, we see that our Renew partners are committed to breaking cycles that we have seen over and over again. They're, they're as ancient as Egypt and they are as present as down the street. We've seen the same old cycles of children being abused and neglected, but God is renewing the world through partners like our Father's Children, Christ Haven, Teen Life, and River Tree Academy. We've seen the same old cycles of generational poverty, but God is breaking them through Community Enrichment Center, West Fort Worth Center of Hope, and Christian Relief Fund. We've seen the same old cycles of women facing desperately difficult choices and exploitation, but God is making something new through pregnancy help for you and valiant hearts. We've seen the same old cycles of human dignity often, man, tarnished through neglect, but God's making something new through Taste Project and Mid-City Care Corps. Our Renew Partners are helping to break cycles and part of what we will do through our generosity today is to join that work. And so God decided for Israel, he was gonna put this in the rhythm of who they are. So you see these cycle-breaking patterns that God starts weaving in. I'll give you a few examples. Like you look at, you look at the, the weekly schedule, the calendar, and God said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make your calendar something that reminds you that we're gonna break cycles. And so at the end of the week, there was the Sabbath day and everybody would take a break at God's command. In the book of Exodus, when God first gives this command inside the Ten Commandments, his motivation for it is tied to God's creation because God made the world in six days and on the seventh, he rested. But when it comes back up in Deuteronomy, look at the reasoning. Deuteronomy 5, verse 14, the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys and other livestock, and any foreigners living among you. As if some of the heads of household didn't really believe God, he, he says this, all your male and female servants must rest as you do. Remember, that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Man, God says once a week, the class structures, the societal systems, the hierarchy of who matters and who society treats as if they don't. Guess what? Once a week, everybody's on level ground before the Lord because everyone is made in the image of God and their worth and dignity is not based in their net worth. It's based in God making them, declaring them good, blessed, and made in his image. That's what God did. But he didn't just do it with their schedule. He didn't just do it with their, with their calendar. Then God decided, now I'm gonna help you do this with your budget. In Israelites' day, that would have been tied to the harvest season as this was an agrarian society. Harvest was a big deal. 
That's where, that's where a lot of your prophets came in. It's where a lot of your provision came in. And in Deuteronomy 24, here's the command. When you are harvesting your crops and forget to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. When, when you beat the olives from your olive trees, don't go over the boughs twice. Leave the remaining olives for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. And when you gather the grapes in your vineyard, don't glean the vines after they're picked. Leave the remaining grapes for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. Remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. That is why I'm giving you this command. God tells this, this group of people, you need to build this in. Just expect that some of what you earned, some of what you worked so hard to raise up, some of the crops that could have ended up on your table, expect that some of it needs to end up on the table of those who are on the margins and in need. It sounds a lot like one of our Renew Partners, Taste Project. They're a restaurant in downtown Fort Worth, and uh, if, if, you, if you were to walk down, to walk down that, that street uh, near, near some of this, you know, Magnolia area and some of where there's all these restaurants, I mean, it, it just fits right in. A little bit upscale, a little bit trendy, and you walk in, you're like, wow, it's a cool place, and everybody's sitting down, and you don't realize that you are in a dining room, and right around you, there are people who have come off the street with nothing in their pocket. There's a family who's come in, and, and they're balance for their bank account is in the negative. And yet right alongside them, two tables over, there's a group of professionals coming from a meeting. And all of them are served together. They're provided for a quality meal served by others. And then when they get a check, there's nothing on it. It's a pay what you can model which means that for that person who comes off the street, for that family in a desperate situation, they get to be served and then walk away with no judgments and no one knowing. And that, that is not just charity. That is extending dignity to people right alongside us. It's part of what God was doing. And what's awesome at Taste Project is that means that uh, when, the, when the bank executive comes in and just gets, you know, a simple, simple sandwich and soup, man, they're going to throw down 75 bucks because they know they're paying for a few other people's meals. That's the idea. That God wants us to have this, this heart that we don't just react to need. That when there's a crisis, all of a sudden we move in. But instead, we build this into the rhythm of who we are. Which is why we do Renew every single year. And so you might hear all this and go, okay, that's That's cool. You know, it's awesome that God clearly has a heart for the, for the foreigner, for the widow, for the orphan. But, but earlier you read something about male and female servants. It's true that there was a form of slavery among Israel, an indentured servitude. But what you need to know is that God decreed that with this indentured servitude, no Israelite would be a slave for life. God made provision in his commands that if slaves were mistreated in certain ways, that they would automatically be released. God, not only that, set a time limit for how long this servitude could last, and there would be rhythms through which that cycle would be broken, and every male and female servant would be set free and released back to their families. 
Now, for that day and age, I mean, that's unprecedented. I know for us, from a modern standpoint, you'd wish that they'd be entirely abolitionist. But what you need to understand is the seeds of abolition were even sown by God in and among Israel in the ancient Near East. Some of what God was doing. But not only that, God said, when those years come, when you're going to release servants in your house, you're going to go above and beyond when that happens. And God did something that for that day and age was crazy. Deuteronomy 15, verse 13. When you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Why? Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. And when we look at what, at what God did in and among Israel when it came to indentured servants, it, this is, you can't really compare this to some of the modern expressions in the West of slavery that are even in our nation's history. There is no comparison. And when you see what God did, he provided this pattern of abolition and cycle breaking that was unprecedented for the day. And that, that kind of equipping to send somebody out and say, all right, if you ended up in indentured servitude because you got in financial trouble, we're not going to send you away empty handed so that you fall right back into those same patterns. God said, no, we're going to break the cycle. And guess what? Though the forms of financial and societal bondage and addiction look different today, our Renew partners are still doing that same work of wanting to generously provide and set people up for success. One example comes to mind with our Renew partner, Valiant Hearts. They work uh, pretty specifically with uh, women in the adult entertainment industry, trying to help get them out of that pattern of exploitation and, and sometimes even trafficking. And so one woman, we'll call her Mary, though that's not her name. Mary was struggling to get out. And one of the challenges, especially for dancers in the industry, is that, you know, it pays decently that, that when, when you get paid pretty well and then you try and leave that and struggle to figure out what work will be and how you're going to pay the bills and provide, especially if you're, if you're a, a single mom who's got some kids, you, finances get really tight, really quick. And whether it's loan sharks or mounting credit card debt or any number of things, all of a sudden you can get trapped and you just want to go back to the same thing where at least you can pay the bills. And so in this setting, as Mary was trying to get out, trying to experience freedom, feeling the budget getting tighter and tighter and just on the edge of falling right back in, Valiant Hearts stepped in to bridge the gap and to help her move to a life of freedom and something better for herself and for her family. And in response, here's what Mary said. I read this earlier this week. It wrecked me. Listen to this. Mary said, quote, The help you've given us during this time is more than you know. It wasn't just groceries and rent. It was hope. Renew Weekend when we give, we are not just giving to provide for groceries and rent. 
We are not just giving to pay for salaries of staff on nonprofit. We are not just giving to stock food pantries. We are not just giving to, to pay for curriculum for job equipping. We are giving hope. That's what God's going to do through his church, through Renew Weekend, to transcend the material, to make it about what God wants to offer the world. We should be a community who deals in hope. And guess what? Being hope dealers means that that's for every single one of us. See, it's interesting that as God speaks to Israel throughout all of the Torah, he's giving this Old Testament law of a, a better kind of freedom to live into. And as he does, oftentimes he's saying, Israel, you will do these things. And, and it's easy for us to hear you and hear it as a plural. And oftentimes it was. But Hebrew scholars note one of the things lost in translation is that there's many places when God, speaking to Israel, said, you will do this. And the you in the original Hebrew is singular. The point being that God is speaking to his gathered people and he's also talking to you and to me. He's talking to each one of us as individuals that we take individual ownership of being part of cycle-breaking generosity. And you know what? In that day and age, the ancient Near East, that was revolutionary. So I, uh, this, this week I was reading a little bit of a book called Justice for All, how the Jewish Bible revolutionized ethics. It's by a, a scholar named Jeremiah Unterman, and here's his claim. He says that what God did beginning to not only have these incredibly generous and compassionate laws encoded for Israel, but on top of that, making sure that everyone felt individual responsibility for the most marginalized among us, he said that has shaped how we think in modern terms about charity and nonprofit work today. That when you look at some of the other societies, what they did, benevolence and charity for other societies like Egypt, like in Mesopotamian cultures, that was for the elite. You were a king, sure, you were involved in some charity. You were, you were especially rich, okay, you were involved in some philanthropy. But for the, for the everyday person, for the middle class, no, that's not how that worked. And so God takes it beyond an elite group based on a tax bracket or something like that and says, no, this is for all of us to own together. And as he does that, part of what he's helping each one of us to see is when we give this weekend, we may not be giving equal amounts and yet we're all called to equally sacrifice to make sure in the margins of what we can do as God has blessed us, we have opportunity to step in individually to make the collective difference. And so what does it mean to take individual responsibility for this? What does it mean to reflect on what God's done for you and for me? Here's how I'd put it. What God did for me shapes what I do for others. It's a big part of what God's getting across, that he invites each one of us to consider, what is it that God's done for me? If you were an Israelite back then receiving these words, man, you would think, what did God do for me? Okay, God cared about me. God intervened on my behalf. God gave me a way out. God provided for my needs and God gave me a hope for a better life. Well, Israel's story, that's our story too. And it's actually the story of a lot of the Renew partners and some of their staff who work to break these cycles.
It was 2019, Renew Serve weekend, and one of the families in my community group was serving with Made in the Streets. They're our Renew partner who work in Kenya, and they are specifically focused on helping kids get out of slums and off the streets into a better life. And so as this family is working at this table, they're working with some old laminate materials that are some, some curriculum and some different things that kids could work with. And so they're helping to duplicate and, and replicate some of this stuff. And as they're working off these old laminates, you know, I mean, you're sitting there with a few kids trying to get this work done. The stuff looks a little bit old, and it maybe isn't the most satisfying work. And then all of a sudden, one of the staff from Made in the Streets walked over to the table and started talking with them. And it was this man, Francis Mbuvi. And Francis walked over, picked up one of the laminates and said, this is what God used to get me off the streets when I was a kid. And all of a sudden, it just took a totally different shift on appreciating what they were doing that day and realizing what God did for Francis, Francis is now doing for others. That as he goes into the slums and on the streets to minister, he is opening up these possibilities of how God will work. That's Francis's rescue story. And man, that's like us. Every Christian has a cycle-breaking story because every Christian has Christ. Here's how the Apostle John put it in 1 John 3. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is our story, that we have a God who was willing to come. And yes, Jesus taught through words and speech great wisdom. He spoke words of healing and forgiveness and freedom. But through his actions, Jesus broke the cycle. That on a cross, he took on our sin. He took on the existing powers of oppression and evil both personal sin for each one of us and capital S sin and evil itself. And on a cross, Jesus broke the cycle and said, it is finished. Paying for your sin and for my sin. And now what we do this weekend gets to be a reflection of that story. Because praise God, Jesus rose from the grave three days later to show there really is hope for a better life. There really is a deliverance that can't be taken away. There really is a freedom that is forever. Praise God. And so, what God did for me, man, that shapes what I do for others. I saw such a beautiful picture of this through some volunteers with Academy Four. They're one of our Renew partners that does mentoring for fourth graders. And a couple of students who actually started as fourth graders who were mentored in Academy Four. And when they got to the earliest age of eligibility to become mentors, they couldn't help but want to jump in. We've got a really awesome story for you. I want you to watch this. When I think about the fourth grade version of myself, I think about all the different dreams and aspirations I had. However, the older I got, the less certainty I had in my dreams. 
As a daughter of immigrant parents, I didn't have an adult to talk to when I needed help with my homework or when I needed to do a project for school. Once I got to fourth grade and started participating in the program Academy 4, I met a wonderful woman who was my mentor. She became a person I looked up to and who I wanted to become when I grew up. I think back on the times when I was a fourth grader waiting on that time of the month when I could wear my little blue shirt and see my mentor. I was always so excited and I just hope I bring the same feelings of happiness to my mentee now. Looking back at how Academy 4 has impacted my life as a fourth grader and seeing now how it's helping me impact the life of fourth graders really touches my heart. Being a part of this program as a fourth grader made me realize I wanted to help other kids when I was older too. When I got to my junior year of high school, the opportunity of being an Academy 4 mentor came up. As soon as I saw that smile on his face, I knew that he was happy to have someone he could talk to about himself. In a way, being an Academy 4 mentor assured me that I could be a good communicator and listener. And I can't wait for my current mentee and my past mentees to experience this feeling in a couple years. Um, spending time with a fourth grader who has big aspirations, dreams, and assurance that they can accomplish anything led me to realize that I needed to start thinking about my future with a different perspective. Without my experience as a mentor, I would not have realized what I did, and realizing that I can accomplish anything I want has already changed me as a person. Being an Academy 4 mentor has changed my life forever, and it has been one of the biggest impacts in my life. This program has helped me so much, and it will help so many more in the future. And what would you say if I told you that, um, I know you applied for a $1,000 scholarship, it's actually going to be $2,000, and you actually got the scholarship, what would you say? Because you actually got the scholarship! Thank you. <laughs> yeah. What would you say if I told you you're actually one of our scholarship winners? <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> well, you've got this one, so congratulations! Really? Yes, really! <laughs> Yes! You got it! You want it! <laughs> what would you say? <laughs> that's awesome. I don't know, I mean, that's really cool. Like, oh, ah, thank you. <laughs> How does it make you feel? Oh. <laughs> um, thank you so much for setting my future and giving me other opportunities to be able to do better things in my life. Um, I mean, Hard to, hard to ask for a better picture of what we've been talking about today. And so when, when the Apostle Paul applied this to Christians and generosity, here's what he said. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What Jesus has done for each one of us is about to shape what we do this weekend through our giving. That as we give, we are not only dealing in hope, but we are helping to reflect and tell some of the story of what God done, has done for us. And so because God loved big, man, I pray we are going to give 
big. And through that, God will be glorified. Those in need will experience more deliverance and freedom. And the world will taste more of what it means to be made new. Let's pray together. God, I thank you. Thank you for being a God who doesn't just deliver us from things, but delivers us for a greater purpose in you. Thank you for being a God who sees the the cycles we fall into individually and as people as a whole, stuck in the same patterns, and you come in and break the cycle with mercy and grace and compassion. And God, thank you for how you have blessed us that we now are in a place to be able to give. Holy Spirit, would you fill our hearts to help us give generously to show how generous you've been to us. We praise you in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.